Welcome to the Haber Show. This week's guest is ESPN's George Sedano. You've seen him everywhere on ESPN. He's the host of The Jump, host of the uh, NBA Countdown. You might have seen him at the halftime show for Lakers Rockets the other day. He's also the afternoon drive host of ESPN Radio Los Angeles. Also NBA sideline reporter. Uh, We go way back in Miami to my first days covering an NBA team. And now with the Heat, one series away from the NBA Finals, potentially going against LeBron and the Lakers, who are rolling against the Rockets, I had to call him up and talk NBA, the LeBron-GOAT conversation, how the Heat got here. And really, we take a stroll uh, through memory lane uh, in the LeBron Heat era. Uh, This was a blast. So uh, without further ado, ESPN's George Sedano. George, um, I don't know if people know this, but my first big gig, my first big break was going down to Miami, covering the 2010 Miami Heat, the biggest story in sports. And probably since then, there's no one that can compete, not even the Warriors, the Steph Warriors that can compete with what that 2010 Miami Heat team with LeBron was. And I was 25 years old. I didn't know what I was doing. I barely had been in a locker room before. And this guy calls me up one day and he says, hey, I'm the producer for George Sedano's show. Uh, he'd like to have you on. And I'd never, ever been on a radio show before. <laughs> and this guy, he texts me. He's like, "Did it?" I mean, I think it was a text where he texted me, George Sedano. And so I'm getting on the air calling you Jorge. Right. And because I'm nervous because I'm this like white kid from Connecticut driving <laughs> down to Miami, South Beach. and I'm just totally out of my element, and I, uh, I think I called you Jorge on the, on the air, but that was the first radio interview I ever did. Was with you. That's pretty amazing. Um, you were really good. You definitely were a little nervous, if I recall, uh, but the information was good, and clearly good enough where we kept bringing you back. You know what I mean? Like, that's all that matters. You, you, you resonated enough where we kept bringing you back, and now you're this superstar, and I'm on your podcast, and this is fantastic. Like, I feel like the world... Uh, is 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 headed in the right direction because I'm on your show now. Did you host? Did you co-host with Stu Gotts at one point? Is that a different show? No, we did some stuff together, um, but ne- like not like regularly. Yeah, yeah, because I did I did a hit with Stu Gotts very early on, George, and I didn't really know Stu Gotts or his like his character or anything like that. So I, I went on and Stu got seeing all the numbers that I was tweeting out or the, yeah, this, yeah. this kid coming in with all these newfangled stats and then uh, parachuting into the Miami Heat beat. Like, who is this guy? And he just like lit me up. And he was like, you nerd, do you even like watching sports? Da, da, da. And I remember <laughs> going on there and like going back at him. Like seriously, like I was, I was, super, I was kind of punching above my weight and, and being a little too aggressive. And we did a segment and I was like fired up, dude. I was right. really fired up because here was this, I mean, growing up outside of New York City, like I'd been listening to Shock Jock, like Mike WFAM. and the Mad Dog, Howard right. Stern, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was ready. I was ready to go. Like, let's go, Stu Gotts. And so uh, I just, I just, I, I punched back. Good and for you. Was, but, but then like I got a call at the break. I was like, still, my heart was like pounding. I got a call at the break and it was, it was Stu Gotts. And he and he's like, "Hey man, uh, just want to let you know, like I think you do great work." And you know, I just felt really bad after that, and I just wanted to reach out and say I'm a huge fan. 
And I, I was just kind of, you know, playing it up a little bit. So please don't take it personally. And I was just like this whole weight had been lifted. Yeah. And from then on, I started to realize the different characters in the Miami Heat, like sports radio world, and just the, the journalists in Miami. And now they're everywhere, dude. Yeah. It is pretty wild when you think about it. Like that era, I think, spawned off a ton of talent, right? Um, you know, you and what you've been able to accomplish, right? Myself, uh, Izzy Gutierrez, right, is on sidelines on ESPN and, and he, uh, he's on Around the Horn pretty much every day. Uh, obviously, Levitard, right, is like I the mean, godfather, um, yeah. you know, the Miami media mafia, as I like to call it. Um, you know, there's, there's just been a lot of people, even if they weren't there for a long time, they at least had a pit stop in there. I mean, Rachel Nichols, for example, right, started writing in South Florida at the South Florida Sun Sentinel. She was covering hockey. She was covering Florida Panthers hockey, I believe, in her first beat. Um, you know, Susie Colbert to go NFL style, right? Like she worked in South Florida. But in basketball, you're right. A lot of people particularly uh, were able to eat at the trough of LeBron, Wade, and Bosch. And uh, look, I, I never mince words. That era made my career. Like, I, I don't think there's any question. And I think there's a lot of people that would say that. Yeah, uh, for me, for sure. I mean, that was the biggest team I could ever, it was, it was a dream job was, Hey, can you do this whole like analytics thing or just statistical analysis in like on the ground? And I was like, I don't, I guess, like, I guess I can ask. (laughs) And it was you, hold on. It was you. Arnovitz was like the writer, also editor, right? Yep. Uh, Brian Winhorst obviously was there too. Uh, And Michael Wallace, who now uh, is with the Grizzlies um, was the, was the fourth writer. The four, the four of us, dude, they, they like, burnt our houses down because it was such a, it was such a, the idea of four ESPN writers covering one team was so offensive at that era, at that time in sports media, it was so offensive that ESPN would cover a team like that. Now you see it all the time, whether it's at the athletic or ESPN or different newspapers, they just have several people covering the Warriors or the, or the Lakers, whatever it is. But at that time I, I was, um, I was kind of thrown into the fire of covering LeBron and, and Spo, but now you see just how unique that situation was. And growing up, did you, did you feel on a national level any, any sort of bias for Miami sports? Oh, yeah. I mean, it goes back, honestly, to like the old Miami Hurricanes days. And, you know, those guys were marauders. You know what I'm saying? They were the pirates of college football. They were the raiders of college football in a lot of ways. And they were – the blackest team, uh, I think, in college football at that time, too. And they were going to let you know how proud they were to be black. And the city rallied around them. So, you know, for as much as I grew up, you know, loving Dan Marino, right, as kind of like my sports idol and icon because he was the constant, the Miami Hurricanes, even with all the changeover and turnover you get in college football, I mean, that was the team that really grabbed the hearts of the city because it – really embodied the city more than than any of the other teams. So, you know, Billy Corbin, uh, the famous director, documentarian, has made two movies at ESPN, two 30 for 30s on them. And, and honestly, you needed both, right, to be able to tell the entire story of what that particular team meant to that city. And I think in a lot of ways, that LeBron Wade Bosch team embodied some of that too. Um, because Miami in the 80s was still – 
you know, to use a line that Billy would use, still the Cocaine Cowboys era, which he yeah. directed as well, um, and, and the 90s as well. But by, you know, 2010, Miami was known as like the party capital of the world. Excess, right, is everything. And that team also kind of embodied that too, right? Kind of embodied the villain role while also uh, taking in the excess, which we saw obviously with the, the pep rally, right? <laughs> and, and all the things that came with that, which probably didn't help the cause, uh, as we all know, looking back at it. Um, but it was every bit what Miami was, right? Which is let's party, let's throw a huge bash, let's have fun, let's do this uh, and do it in as big a way as possible and in your face as much as possible. But, but dude, like, I think, a, I think a lot of it, George, is like, I think people are just projecting their own jealousy about oh, sure. Miami. No doubt, dude. Look, let me tell you something. I grew up there, okay? I was born in New York City. We moved to Miami when I was six years old. So I lived there for 30 years, okay? There is a ton of jealousy uh, about Miami. I have a friend who works in media who grew up a Dolphins fan, even though he grew up in the Midwest. Um, and the reason he grew up a Dolphins fan was because every time the game was on, it was sunny and beautiful and windy and the palm trees, right? And he lived in the Midwest where it was miserable, you know, every day. And he loved the aqua and orange and the, the white and all the colors of the uniforms and just everything about it. And he fell in love with them. Um, and obviously back then, you know, then Marino, the offense was incredible and way ahead of their time, right? So all that stuff played into it. So yeah, and he said it, I, I grew up jealous that I couldn't be in Miami as I would watch these football games. And I think there is that, right? Like outside yeah. of LA and maybe New York, right? All these other cities aren't as glamorous uh, as Miami is. And look, Miami has plenty of warts, trust me. <laughs> um, but, but when you look at it and you, you, when you think of cities and beautiful cities and beautiful people and all the stuff that we've just outlined, it, it's at the top of the list or near the top of the list. You know, a lot of people were like, you you lived in Miami for six years, especially here in Charlotte. They they like can't believe because if you look at the the city of Charlotte versus South Beach, right? Two diametric opposites of like you know uh, your your nightlife or just like your lifestyle. And they're like, you lived on Miami Beach for how long? I'm like six years, yeah. And it was like the best six years of my life. It was It was like professionally great for me. Personally, it was so much fun, um, but also people don't realize like the Bay side of Miami beach where like Chris Bosch lived, of course, Jeremy Shockey had a place up in my, uh, in my building there on Miami beach, Dan <laughs> Lebatar lived there. And it was like, it's really nice. It's not party party. Uns, 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 like you think all day. Right. Yes. And yes. like ocean drive. Yes. Um, all, all the, all the hotels on that the side, touristy but areas. the yes, touristy area, bad. but there's yeah. like a distinct divide um, between the two, you go like Alton road and then you hit, uh, you hit all like basically the, the condos and stuff. And that's where we lived. It was great. But yeah. I, there was this, there was this kind of like surprise when I mentioned Miami, cause they all just imagine that it's just, you, it's just, once we got a condo and there was a pool at the a condo, I never really went to the beach. Like I right. stepped foot on the sand, like once or twice my last year when yeah. I was there. Cause it was just, yeah. it was different. And people just assume that it's just like, uh, nude beaches and, and, and pina coladas all the time, which well, there's can. Plenty, yeah, there's plenty <laughs> of that, right? Clearly there's plenty of that. Um, and look beyond that, right? Like I didn't grow up 
in Miami Beach. I grew up in like a blue collar, middle of the city neighborhood that was predominantly Hispanic, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, so there's so many facets to Miami that are not just South Beach, right? Now look, South Beach is picturesque. South Beach is beautiful. Um, but I think that, you know, when you live there, um, as long as I did, right, you get to explore the city in a different way. And you also get to, you know, know the city in a different way. And even though like I live in LA and I love LA for a number of reasons, but I would say that Miami's always going to have my heart because it's my hometown. You know what I mean? And there's yep. so many, like, I feel like, I, I feel like a sense of pride when I get friends that'll call me and be like, Hey, I'm going to Miami for the weekend or whatever. What should I do? And and I'll, I'll tell them, hey, you know, you hit these spots, the touristy spots, but I will tell them, hey, go to the other side of Miami Beach, go to this part of the city where if you want to eat like authentic Cuban food, right? Like I, I try to have them do that stuff, but yeah, like everyone just assumes it's, uh, you know, it's rooftop parties uh, till the sun rises every single day, which there is, um, but there is a completely different facet to the city well, that I think most people don't recognize. I'll never forget like this drone sound outside my, my window. It, it sounded like there was a drone outside my window and I, I woke up, I was on like the 28th floor of this high rise in Miami beach. And it was like four, five in the morning and I look outside and the sun's like barely coming up. So you could see there was actually a helicopter like over hovering over Miami beach at like five mm -hmm. in the morning and it was just hovering there for must have been an hour. Then two helicopters. And I realized there were news choppers. Yeah. I was like, what the hell is going on? And that was Justin Bieber when he had left a nightclub. I think it was probably, it was probably Live or Story or something like that. Yeah. And he left at like 5 a.m. in his Lambo and like got either in a car accident or a speeding ticket. Right. And there was just news cameras everywhere. And I was like, <laughs> welcome to Miami where you, you get woken up in the morning at 5 a.m. to Justin Bieber crashing his car or getting a ticket. Well, to bring it back to sports, I'll never forget when Peyton Manning was a free agent um, after, you know, departing the Colts. And he met with the Dolphins and as one of the teams that he uh, met with. And there were choppers chasing him from the airport. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just one of those wacky cities, right? That I honestly think, and I've had this conversation with people because my wife worked in news for a long time there. And I think it is the most fascinating news city in America. The stories that you get that come out of South Florida, unlike anything um, that you'll see anywhere in the country, not New York, not LA, not Chicago, not anywhere. Um, it's why Billy Corbin, who I referenced earlier, stays in business uh, doing documentaries because it's just wild, the type of crap that happens there. All right, before LeBron got to Miami, the Heat had been to the playoffs, obviously winning the title with Shaq. But I wanted to quiz you, top 10, now that we know that LeBron James has the most playoff wins, Mm -hmm. in uh, NBA history, right, okay. after last night's game. Most playoff wins by a Heat player in a Heat uniform before LeBron got there in 2010. So how many can you name in the top 10 Heat players with most playoff victories before 2010? Right. I have Alonzo, the list. Alonzo yeah. Mourning. That's number there. one. He's got 43. Yeah. Right. Uh, Tim Hardaway. Tim Hardaway is 14th with 15. Really? Yeah. Yep. Wow. So, oh, because it includes 2006 before yes. LeBron. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So, all right. So then, so we're talking about, so it has to be people that were there for the 2006 run 
and uh, the previous Riley iterations. Okay, so that narrows it down. All right, so Alonzo <laughs> Mourning, number one. Yep. Dwayne Wade. Number two. Right. Udonis Haslam. Number three. Now it gets dicey. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> that was easy. That was the easy part. Um, so before LeBron, uh, who was on the 2005 Heat that was also on the 2006 Heat? That is the question. Yeah, I mean – yeah, the number four player is on 0506. Yeah. Yeah. So the number, so I'm trying to think who was a carryover from the Michael Doliak? <laughs> Doliak, no, but you're missing the big, the big fella, number four. Well, obviously Shaq. Yeah, Shaq. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm trying to think, I mean, you're trying to think like of role players. Role players who are going to be on those teams, right? Obviously Shaq. Um, duh. I should have said that a long time ago when I mentioned the other guys, but um, it's okay. It's okay. So, yeah. So, all right. So that covers that. So then after that, oof, it gets real thin. Um, so 97, the number five guy has 18 playoff wins between 97 and 2000, a forward. Wasn't the guy, but. Jamal Mashburn? Jamal Mashburn. Wow. Why does he have more than Hardaway? Uh, that doesn't even make sense. Injuries, Hardaway, maybe, maybe, but that seems weird. I feel like Timmy has to have. Uh, I feel like your list may be flawed because if Timmy's, there's no way Timmy has less wins than Jamal. I mean, I have. T- I'm on. I'm on StatHead.com, Basketball Reference paid uh, subscription site, and I'm okay. sorting okay. I, by I, wins. I, I, I it's right argue. here. Yeah. All right. So you've got Zoe. D Wade, UD, Shaq, Shaq, Mash, and then six is Eddie Jones. Okay. That's seven is, oh, Eddie Jones was on that 0506 team too. That's right. Yeah. And then you have uh, Thunder Dan at number seven. Dan Marley. Yeah, for sure. Number eight, uh, PJ Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the old Riley teams. Yeah. And then basically the entire like team from 06. So Posey. Jay right. Antoine Walker, Gary Payton. Right. Yeah. 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 What was your favorite um, Heat player of any pre 2010 Heat player? Any player. Doesn't have to be one that was successful in the playoffs. Just you're, you're as a kid or as a sports fan, you just love this guy. Um, so I think you got to go in different eras, right? Like obviously Dwayne Wade is the guy, right? Um, but beyond that, you know, those early Heat teams, I loved Steve Smith. Steve Smith on those baby heat teams uh, before Riley was just so much fun. Um, It actually, it really hurt me um, as a kid when he went to the Hawks and he wasn't a part of the heat anymore. Um, And I was super happy when he came back because he was on that 0506 team, actually Um, way on the bench. I remember a funny story. Chauncey Billups was killing Damon Jones in that series in 0506 in the conference finals. And Rashid was just talking all sorts of shit. And he would look, because remember, he played with Steve Smith in Portland. And he was just, so Rashid would be hanging out on the three-point line. And he'd look back at Steve Smith and go, hey, Smitty, got no chance, man. He's got no chance down there. Go eat him up every single time. And it was just hilarious to just, every single time that Chauncey took Damon Jones in the post, that Rashid was just talking all sorts of nonsense to Steve Smith. And Steve was just like shaking his head. There's just nothing he could do about it. But no. Oh, it was so great. Um, yeah, Steve Smith was yeah. my favorite player for sure. He was super versatile. Remember, Michigan State, 
six, what, seven, six, eight yeah. point guard. Everyone was comparing him to like magic light, basically, in a lot of ways back then. At, at actually in Miami during the finals, Smitty played in a pickup game with a bunch of media and he didn't shoot once and he dominated the entire time. Yeah. I Great that. passer. Like we were yeah. playing pickup and I was like, oh man, we got to guard, you know, Steve Smith out here. And he just stayed out on the perimeter and just passed to everybody. And it was just like, he's so much better than what you might've re- remembered what he was like. He on. was incredible. Um, he also got stuck in that Jordan era, right? Had he not been in that Jordan era, yeah. he would have made way more all-star teams because he was just that good. Like his passing ability was second uh, to none on those rosters. Yeah. And, and really, you know, as you mentioned, kind of really underrated as a player throughout his career. Cause those Portland teams, he was really good. And Atlanta, he was really damn good too. All right. Let's take a quick break to hear about a podcast that should be in your rotation. This is Mike Tirico introducing you to Sports Uncovered. When I lose the sense of motivation and the sense of to prove something as a basketball player, it's time for me to move away from the game of basketball. Quote unquote, I'm back. I'm back. The two word facts from Michael Jordan announcing the most famous comeback in NBA history. That's the most impactful two words ever. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Sports Uncovered for free wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, back to the conversation. So, I'm I'm watching this game last night. LeBron, he's 35, about to turn 36 in a couple months. We were up close and personal for the LeBron years in Miami. Now you're in L.A. And I'm watching just – I don't know if there's anything else he can do to shift the conversation in the GOAT debate because – what he's doing is ridiculous, Yeah, but it's so constant that, George, I don't know if four blocks in the third quarter or uh, you know, hitting all these threes or just extinguishing this Rockets team is going to move the needle at all because I feel like it's almost politics. People are so entrenched in their opinions about LeBron already and Michael Jordan. We just watched The Last Dance a couple months ago, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, man – is he, is he just – is like 162 playoff wins most of all time? Does that matter anymore? Or if it's, is it just everyone's decided in their heads where LeBron's place is in the game? Yeah, I think we also live in just a society in general where we are predisposed to um, our opinions and, you know, and, and standing our ground, basically, right? Like you are in one camp or another, and it doesn't matter whether it's sports or politics or whatever – you are planting your flag and you are defending it, even if you have to twist yourself into a pretzel to do it, right? And I think that's what it is with LeBron. And, and look, you know, I think for some people, it's just as simple as, hey, 6-0, and right? That's One it. guy is 6-0. and He never lost in the finals in the biggest stage. And I also think we remember stuff more fondly when we were younger. And look, a lot of that was stoked recently with The Last Dance, right? A lot of people are out there remembering stuff even more fondly uh, after watching that. Whereas you're watching this in real time. And I do remember, and I have these conversations with Levitard all the time because he's a little older, but I remember, man, I'm 43 years old. Like I remember Michael Jordan being the guy who couldn't win the big one, right? Like I remember him being the ball hog. Like I was a kid 
but certainly old enough to understand what was going yeah. on. You know, I was in junior high or high school already at that point um, before he won. Um, actually, so he won 91, 92. Yeah, I was in junior high. So I was oh, yeah. Cer yeah. certainly aware of the narrative around Michael Jordan. And I feel like we do this thing constantly. It's as cliche as it sounds, right? We build people up to destroy them to then, you know, build them back up again, right? And it happened to Jordan, except the mythology around him is greater because the packaging was different back then. We lived in a world that wasn't as connected, right? There's no social media. Um, hell, I mean, basic cable was in its infancy, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, really in some ways. Like I think in the early 90s, if you had cable, you had 50 channels, you know what I mean? Like, and it's whatever the basic cable package is now. Um, so I think that because of that, the world felt kind of larger, I guess, in some way. So he also felt larger than life. And then the branding of Jordan, Gatorade, McDonald's, Nike, right? Like all these campaigns were always there. And because we only had 50 channels and most people had the network stuff, the broadcast stuff, you were watching, if you weren't watching Michael Jordan play basketball, you were watching him in any given hour on a commercial in, mm -hmm. in, one, in one of those three ads. So it just the mythology and the packaging was so great. And look, I'm not taking away from how amazing he was. I think you're splitting hairs between the two guys. If you I think Michael, Michael has the best peak, but LeBron's had a better career. Does that make Correct. sense? Yeah, for sure. And look, here's the thing, you know, you can make the case, right, that if you put Michael Jordan in this era, he learns to shoot threes, right? Like LeBron wasn't a great shooter early in his career. Um, it wasn't really until Miami that he really started to hone that craft, right? So, um, you, you know, look, I look at LeBron at this stage and really outside of that Dallas series, there's not a ton of blemishes on his play, on his record as far as play is concerned. That Dallas series, you know, you were there. I was there. Dude, I still can't explain it. Like, I, I don't know what happened. I remember standing next to Dan Lebetard while the Mavericks were, were uh, winning. Like, when they, the, bell, the buzzer had sounded, and they're rushing the court. And I just – I distinctly remember Lebetard crossed arms, shaking his head like, I can't believe it. This really happened. Yeah. And he was just dumbfounded. Like, even in that moment – even the people who are like paid to understand and explain what the hell they just watched, even now it's just dumbfounding. And, you know, uh, I don't think, I don't think the, the Joe sports fan um, can get over that. Like the 2011 no. against the Mavs with the JJ Beret images of, of not being able to back him down um, and just kind of get, getting rid of the ball. And then the mocking of Dirk Nowitzki about the whole cold and, or yeah, the, the, the coughing, flu, the the coughing right? The arena, like yeah. the things that happened in that series, um, I think even though it was one series, is just going to hold so much more weight in people's minds and their psyche because it almost confirmed everything that they preconceivedly knew, thought they knew about LeBron. Well, agreed. And they also, the entire world was rooting against them. Right. Like it was yes. it was that like there was the weight of the world. I mean, you know this, that 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 season in itself can be a 30 for 30. Forget the four years. Just that first season can be its own um, 30 for 30. As a matter of fact, if uh, you know, if anyone at the company is listening to this podcast, I'd like to be a, a producer, get a producer credit <laughs> on that if I can. Also, 
it should be four episodes because each season is kind of its own thing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's any doubt at the minimum three episodes, because maybe you do the championship years together and then, you know, you do the final season, but either way it, yeah, I still, Tom, it's been nine years and I still can't explain what happened to him, whether he short circuited, um, whether the pressure just finally dawned on him. Oh my God, it's here. Um, whether it was, Dwayne Casey and uh, Terry Stotts and Rick Carlisle, you know, creating this defense against him, whatever it was, um, it all got to him. And, you know, if he would have just played to his averages, okay? Yeah. They win that series. He, he scored 17 points per game in that series. He was averaging 27. He extinguished him and Dwayne Wade extinguished the Chicago Bulls in five games and oh, literally extinguished them. them. They were down double digits in game five late in the fourth quarter. And it felt like they were cruising and it all turned game two. I'll never forget it. Dwayne Wade in the corner had the, uh, the three pointer wrist bent. I'm bending my wrist here on the zoom. Um, kind of hopping on one leg, the entire arena going crazy, 15 point lead. And it was like, Oh, this is over. Oh. Like they're, they're going to win easy. This is going to be a four or five game series. And then Dallas has that comeback and you're like, Whoa, you were, you were stunned. And even then people forget this part. People think that was the turning point. And it was in a lot of ways, but Miami won game three in Dallas I know. <laughs> and they were up two games they to one. one. Yeah. It's crazy. And I, you know, I think, that series is just seared in people's brains as kind of a canary in the coal mine or something that, that showed the true nature of LeBron. And I keep saying this, I don't think people understand how low LeBron's approval rating was at that point. The fact, so that he's, the fact that he has come back, even to like get in any sort of good graces with fans, is a humongous achievement much less become as beloved he is now. And that's why in May, when, when during like the, the really tough part of the pandemic, when everyone was just freaking out um, and, and no one really knew anything, but we had the last dance to hold on to, right? right. And it was, you know, Michael Jordan was, was kind of saving us at this point of, uh, you know, going in 90s nostalgia. And, you know, Reinsdorf said it, the owner of the, of the Bulls said it when he was like, Anyone who compares LeBron James to Michael Jordan, it's, it's just laughable. It's not even a question. It's not even a conversation. And I'm sitting here like, I never doubt LeBron James in the narrative. I don't because I was there in 2010. Yeah. I was there to see how just one-sided it was that there was no way in my mind, forget winning titles, going back to Cleveland? Yeah, that game. Well, no, oh, you're talking oh, about I'm going saying, back well, yeah, 14. We could, we could go back to... That game what, in December. Did was, you go to that? I didn't go to that. No, I was in the studio because um, I remember I used to do the studio stuff for them. And um, is that Mrs. Haverstrow over there? I think she was trying to get in. My wife was just trying to get in, but um, I think we're good. She just, I think she was like, you know what? They're talking LeBron, MJ. I don't want anything to do with this. <laughs> um, I was in the studio that day. Um, so I was doing my job as a studio host and I had the direct feed and I, so in I could, this is the first game that LeBron had played back in Cleveland. Correct. So I had the direct feed piped right into my studio so I could see everything and I could hear everything. And people were there so early. 
Okay. And so, and, and the camera's panning and I'm seeing the people's faces and you can just see the vitriol and the anger in their faces. The signs, by the way, the signs that made air on television Yo. were bad. The ones that didn't make air on television were even worse from the, well, I, I would hope so. I would hope they actually yeah. screened some, but by the looks of some of the signs in there, I mean, some of the stuff was like not even, not even fair play for an athlete. It was just not fair, fair game for a human being. No, agreed. And, and remember, they threw batteries at their bench. Uh, I remember having uh, that conversation. Um, and not little batteries, like Ds and Cs, you know what I mean? Like, like big batteries, because I, I had this conversation with the heat security people after the fact. And look, for all the different return games, right? Kevin Durant, whatever, nothing. No, and I, again, I wasn't even in the building, but I was in a studio with a direct feed with everything piping through. I can hear the, the broadcast team talking in breaks. And, and I had the conversation with everyone in the immediacy of it. And after the fact, over the years, there is not a person that witnessed it, um, either the way I did in that studio or that was actually there, that doesn't say that that was the worst crowd they've ever seen at any NBA game ever. Primal. It was, yeah. some, it was, yeah. it was something that it was like the worst of human beings in one arena. Right? Yeah. Uh, feelings of betrayal, feelings of just straight up. I don't know. It was like, I think at the end of the day, the Cleveland fans had felt like LeBron had just was a traitor amongst like, it made them, it made them look bad. Right. You know, that they're not worth staying for. Right. And much less going to Miami, which in their minds is like, right. you know, superficial South Beach uh, yeah. vacation land. Right. Yeah. And um, and then to come back to Cleveland yeah. to win a title going right. beating a three one team. I, I'm sitting here and I'm saying I don't see a scenario in which LeBron will be known as unanimously the GOAT. But yeah. I have learned to believe that you should not doubt LeBron in the conversation because he has upended everything along the way. And he's overcome more adversity than Jordan did. Even though, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago about, I remember the Jordan narrative before winning titles. It wasn't anything like what LeBron dealt with because again, the world was way more connected. Social media was around, right? Like all the, all the different distractions um, on top of the stuff we just laid out. But all the different distractions, plus media was different, 24-hour news coverage. We started the conversation talking about you guys, four people covering one team uh, for one entity, not to mention all the other entities covering. Uh, oh, not team. to mention all the other national writers who were there right. in Miami for ESPN. Like Chris Broussard, right. he right. had a report like the first week of the heat season yeah. that Spo needed to go. Right. Yeah, that somebody actually, uh, the freezing cold takes guy tweeted that out. And I like Broussard, so I feel bad that I that this happened. But hold on. I'm gonna no, I don't think it. that was a bad report. I think that was very, there was, yeah. there was absolutely whispers oh, yeah. about that Spo's practice schedules or whatever it was, was too, was, was too much. Yeah. yeah, it was rigid. And, um, and LeBron wasn't used to that at no. that time, clearly at that point. But here's the tweet. I have it. Sources tell me he players frustrated with Spolstra, wondering if he's the right man for the job. Story on ESPN.com. That was so big. So it was big. huge. Um, I remember calling Chris, you need to come on the radio show. Like it was, well, here's the thing. If you remember that era, um, and I do want to circle back to 
LeBron right now. But if you remember that era, there were a million gates. Everything was a gate, right? Yeah. There was Crygate. Yeah. Remember, allegedly guys were crying in the locker room after a loss to the Bulls or whatever. Spo screwed up there. Yeah, he said that. He, yeah. he said it, and I, and I could see it on his face. Like, ah, oh, I didn't just feed the wolves like red meat. I just, yeah. Yeah, I shouldn't yeah. say it. Yeah. Crygate. There was Contraction Gate. Remember that when LeBron um, mentioned that he thought teams should be contracted? He was, he was giving Kevin Love praise, and then he was talking about potentially contracting teams. He didn't understand what that meant at the time. Um, there was Karma Gate. Was there was the Karma um, with Dan Gilbert. There was right. that. Yeah, I remember. I remember when LeBron's mom got in trouble at the Fountain Blue, mm-hmm. and that was like early on in the first season of Miami, and with it was valet. just like, yeah, it was just like, what is going on? Yeah, like this everything, guy can't. Everything was falling apart around him, and everything was the story, like page one, top headline lead story on every sports cast on every website on Bumpgate. every pot yeah yeah Bumpgate. With, with oh Bumpgate. that's the one i mean that is the biggest one of all <laughs> i mean that thing got replayed in slow motion if you had to guess how many times did that thing get Take the over in Take, i'm taking the over whatever the number is i'm taking right. the it, over. easily in in a span of a week i don't know 5,000 times on, on ESPN it, on all the different shows. Like if you had to bet, I would go over on that too. Um, but to your point, what he's doing at age 35. Okay. And he's going to be 36 in a few months. Let's not forget that uh, in December, whatever he's lost Tom in agility or speed or burst or whatever in athleticism. And you know, it's not a ton that he's lost. Clearly not after watching last night's game. Yeah. It's like a quarter step, right? Maybe, you know, but a quarter step is a big deal. You know what I mean? In this league. But what he may have lost there in a quarter step of athleticism, he's gained an experience. Like he right now is like Neo in the matrix stopping bullets. Like that's what he is. Um, And look, sometimes that's not enough. And it may not be enough in some situations, but as far as he's concerned, look, I'm on radio every day in LA, okay? I, I'm on, I do afternoon drive on ESPN Los Angeles. And for the entire season, really for the entire time he's been here, um, granted he had the injury last year, but um, going into this playoffs, like my thing was, I'm not worried about LeBron in the least. Like he's going to be 30 points, close to a triple-double every night. I, was, I need to see Anthony Davis be dragged along, right? Yeah. Like, because I worry about him settling, right? As far as his game is concerned and just kind of taking a breath and relaxing where, you know, this, there's not a lot of time to relax in the playoffs. None, none. And I actually, I'll be honest. I, I was worried about LeBron in the seeding games with the groin injury and just mm-hmm. the fact that he wasn't as sharp as he or fast as he normally was. But now in retrospect, I'm just like, Oh, he was just saving himself for yeah. the playoffs, which by the way was absolutely something to be concerned about for a number of reasons. Let's not forget that LeBron James has a specific ramp up to his body, right? Um, you know, he, he's used to being on a certain schedule to get his body to peak performance come playoff time. And we saw in mid-March, he was getting there. Like those wins against the Clippers and the Bucks in back-to-back games that, that weekend before everything stopped. I mean, he looked 
like peak LeBron. He looked like cyborg LeBron. And you had to wonder at least for a second, oh no, does the calendar kind of put him in a weird spot? Because he has this truncated training camp uh, and these seating games. It's not the usual amount of time. Well, clearly all that stuff is now out the window, but it was a legit concern for a second because, you know, your body is trained to do things a certain way. So you brought up Anthony Davis and I want to hit this because my guy, Amin Al-Hassan, he just, he just doesn't see, you said this a, a ton of times to me, he just doesn't see Anthony Davis as like championship uh, material yet. Like that he hasn't been a quote unquote winner uh, in the same way that we might, might see from other young players in the league. Um, I disagree because obviously he won at Kentucky. He competed like hell against Steph Curry and the Warriors in that first playoff series. Uh, he swept the, the Blazers a few years ago with, with Rondo, by the way. So I'm, I still think he's young enough and we shouldn't you know, write him off as not a, a proven winner at the biggest stages. But when you're, par- when you're going against this team – he does at times, he puts up big numbers, but he does at times play into their hands a little bit mm-hmm. where PJ is beating him to the block and not letting him get to the rim. And in like all of these minutes against PJ Tucker, do you know how many times he's gotten like a shooting foul against PJ Tucker or at least like won that matchup? It's not a lot. No, it doesn't seem like a lot because he settles a lot for the mid-range jumper, which is by far his worst shot. Um, and it drives people crazy. You know, I, trust me, I hear it from Laker fans. Like, they're like, why don't you just go dunk it on his head? You know what yes. I mean? Like, just go do that and get fouled because you can do that. Um, but yeah, he settles. And that, that to me is, is, I don't think it's a huge concern because I do think LeBron is dragging him along in that way, like from a personality standpoint. Clearly, he doesn't need to drag him along from a skill perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that you're right. It, 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 there takes some time to understand what going deep in the playoffs means. And I think he's starting to get there. I think that there that's happening um, in real time. And look, man, it's like anything in life, right? Like you don't know it until you're living through it, right? You don't know how to handle it until you actually have to do- deal with it. Pat Riley told this to LeBron or told it to Dwayne and Spo, and then they told it to LeBron, but experience is the best teacher, right? right. And now LeBron says that all the time. So for AD, He's got to understand, oh, shit, I do got to play the five now. I got to play the five straight yeah. up. I got to play the five. If we need, if we're going to win uh, against this series, against this, pretty much any team in the league, their best lineup is going to be him at the five. And he's just got to man up on that sense. Like, just yeah. be like, I got to be a center now. This is the way it's going to be. Um, I want to hit this because uh, I am probably on the spectrum of Rajon Rondo slander. I am very much a hater. Like, I am very much. Like you too. Yeah. I, I've been there. I, I I went on Sports Center the other day and said they needed to flip the Caruso Rondo minutes, which I still will stand still, behind. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Um, I'm still but there. You know what happens is playoff Rondo shows up. And um, so there was a funny meme going around yesterday. Um, I have to, I sent it to somebody. Hold on. Give me a second. I will find it because it's pretty hilarious. So it's the different uh, Rondos. There's Rajon Rondo. There's uh, uh, up, upside down headband Rondo. There's national TV Rondo. Yep. There's playoff Rondo. But yep. then get this. It expands to, and I apologize whoever put this out. I, did, I just saw a bunch of people tweeting it. So I don't know who actually created this. But then the next group is pretty funny. Revenge game against a former team on national TV Rondo. 
then there's revenge game against his own fan base after they cussed him out, Rondo. Yeah. And then the last one, which is the one we saw yesterday, apparently, according to this meme, the revenge game against his own fan base after they cussed him out with braids and a headband playoff Rondo. Bravo. See, I put together a video uh, this week's Haverstat. He has the biggest increase in PER of any player in NBA history from regular season to postseason. It, it's, it's real. Like, there's no, I don't there's no get two it. ways about it. Like, yeah. he, he elevates his game in the playoffs to a level that we've never seen. It's just I – mean, he's not the best player on the floor last night. He's not right. the best player for the Celtics. He's not the best player for the Bulls team when he got hurt and he, and he was out for the next – the rest of the series. But, like, Rondo – the thing that he does that I think is a wrinkle that will help big time is he can get AD the ball at the rim. And two times last night, he was just like pointing to the rim or telling him to spin. And he just perfectly dipped through an alley-oop that was just higher than Jeff Green's outstretched hand. And it was just right on the money. And when, as AD is dunking it, he's screaming and he's all fired up and like, there are not many players in the league now, George, that can give you a post-entry pass or an alley-oop off a spin and place it perfectly. Right. You know what I'm saying? LeBron yeah. can do it, yeah. and Rondo can do it. And Maybe I think, Chris Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Like, to place it perfectly, and what the Rockets are doing, they're trying to front him and basically overpower him and say, go throw that overhead lob, uh, KCP or Caruso. Like, go ahead, try. And no one can really, you know, airmail that pass perfectly like Rondo can. And so I think that's, that's a certain advantage, but man, I, it's hard. Like I, I watch Rondo shoot threes and I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. And yeah. he'll have this terrible looking three, one of which went the other way and LeBron had a, a ridiculous block on the other end. But like some of them, I, I have no, I still, do you have confidence when Rondo spots up from three? Not at all. Not at all. As soon, every time he takes it, it's like, uh, okay, fine. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, 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 no. Yes. Okay. Okay. So is, this, yeah. is this sustainable? I guess we've seen playoff Rondo before, but do you, as, as someone who's watched a ton of Lakers games, do you feel more comp or do you feel like, Oh yeah, maybe, maybe I need to revise my theory on Rondo. So here's what I would say. I still think that even in the playoffs, um, I think he's capable in the regular season. Here's the way I would look at it. He's capable of a good game, like once out of every five or six. Now, in the playoffs, maybe that shortens to one out of every three or four. But on this team, that may be all you need. You know what I mean? Because you mm -hmm. know what you're getting from LeBron. Uh, clearly, we're starting to see what you're getting out of Anthony Davis. And if you can get just two or three other guys to have moments, right, yeah. or have games here or there. We saw Markeith Morris the other day, right, have a big game for them off the yep. bench. We saw Kuzma play well. Um, he's really the guy everyone wants to be the kind of that third best player. And he clearly wants to be the third best player so much so that he talks about it a lot to use a LeVar ball uh, phrase. He likes to speak it into existence. Yep. Um, I don't know if that actually has come to fruition enough, uh, but it, you know, if they can just do that, right? Like if they can get two guys every night to give them a good game, regardless of what combination it is, Danny green, Kuzma, Rondo, Morris, Caruso, whatever, as long as they can get two other guys to give them a good game, I feel like they pretty much can beat anyone, including the Clippers. It's a shame that Rocco is going to most likely be at least limited for the rest of the way because yeah. of um, either a broken nose or whatever. I haven't seen the updates yet, but then you have Daniel House, you have um, 
I mean, Russ, Russ had a, a good game last night, but um, I, I, I still don't trust Russell Westbrook in the playoffs at, at the highest levels. The other thing is, you know, they, it's not, I'm not saying they're lucky, but they, they didn't have to face Dame Lillard in the last game in that series. It might've been over anyway, but I think with the Rockets, if they don't have their best five out there, if they don't have Robert Covington and they don't have just their full complement of players, I just don't think that that upset is likely. I think the Lakers um, yeah. are going to cruise the rest of the way. And maybe that's, you know, underestimating James Harden. But um, one thing I want to, I want to hit is we're one step closer to a Lakers Miami finals. The heat just, uh, took care of the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis didn't play. And I just want to spend a, a couple minutes here talking about how horrible the Heat spending were in 2016 and 2017. Oh my God. And then Andy Ellsberg and Pat Riley and Spo and Adam Simon, the, the whole front office. I did the math the other day. It was $262 million. A quarter bill, George. A quarter billion dollars given to Assam Whiteside, James Johnson, Tyler Johnson, and James and uh, Dion Waiters. Waiters. Yeah. In back-to-back off seasons, <laughs> they spent two hundred and sixty-two million dollars yeah. to fringe like like fringe NBA players. Yeah. And built them up into they they bought low and instead of selling high and saying like look we're uh, thank you for all you've done in the Heat organization. They, they kind of drank their own Kool-Aid a little bit and said, this is the new normal for these guys. Not, I, I, I not appreciating the fact of like, maybe this was a contract here and we shouldn't be giving $100 million to Hassan Whiteside. But I was just sitting there being like, that, those are toxic contracts. You're not going to be able to get rid of those contracts. You're going to be sitting in NBA purgatory for three, four, five years. And then here we are. Like it's, it's a wild. masterful job in just laundering a quarter billion dollars of contracts that I don't think people were running over themselves to get those contracts and turning it into what they have, which is Andre Iguodala, Jay Crowder, um, you know, basically drafting Bam out about to replace uh, Hassan Whiteside and getting Myers Leonard, which, you know, he, he was an innings eater during the regular season, right? Great locker room guy. It's an amazing job. Like if there was an executive of the year award for like four over four years, what the Heat have done to get rid of like the 2016 overspending for those guys to where they are now, it's it's brilliant. It is. Um, and you mentioned all those guys, uh, you know, Pat, Andy, Ellisberg, Spo, Adam, Simon. Uh, you know, Shane is a part of that, right? Shane Cameron, yeah. all those guys. Um, yeah, look. To your point, and we mentioned mythology earlier when it came to Jordan. Yeah, Pat did drink some of his own Kool-Aid. He uh, believed in his own mythology. He believed that Dion Waiters was a lottery pick and he could make him, uh, you know, some semblance of maybe what his potential was supposed to be. Um, he could turn James Johnson into a better Udonis Haslam, right? Like, you know, I, I think all those things and the white side stuff, like he definitely bought into the white side stuff. Like, but very quickly, all that stuff soured. And I was with you. I didn't think that they would be able to get out of it. I, uh, you know, the Heat fans give me a lot of crap because I said that I would rather be the Sixers two years, uh, th two or three years ago um, than the Heat because of those contracts. Yep. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to say I was clearly wrong about that. Although I do think uh, the Sixers can still be fixed with the right architect um, and right coach. But yeah, man, like it, it's insane what they were able to do. And 
You know, Adam Simon specifically doesn't get enough credit um, because he's the guy, him and Chet are the guys uh, that find these diamonds in the rough, right? Yep. Like Chet Kammer, Spo told me the story. I did one of their games this year in New Orleans and Spo told me the story about Duncan Robinson and Chet Kammer calls him and says, hey, I'm at this workout and we'll call it lightly attended, uh, this Duncan Robinson workout in California. And he's like, I found this kid. He's the best shooter I've ever seen shoot in one of these situations. Yeah, and yeah. he's like, who is he? And he's like, Duncan Robinson. And Spoh's like, the kid from Michigan who was coming off the bench? And he's like, I swear. And he's like, look, I don't believe you, but I trust you. So, yeah. okay, let's bring him on, you know? And it, it's that kind of stuff, right? It's Adam Simon finding even the guys they gave contracts to and Hassan Whiteside and Tyler Johnson. He's done it now again, right? With kind of Kendrick Nunn, Kendrick Nunn signing yeah. Kendrick Nunn off the Santa Cruz Warriors on the last day of the season, right? And, and it couldn't have happened if, if the Clippers wouldn't have taken Rodney Magruder, right? Like all those little things. Luck is certainly a part of what happened to them. Like don't get it twisted. But you have to be able to be advantageous and take advantage of, of good fortune. And they certainly did that at, pretty much at every step since. Um, since making all those mistakes, they really did a nice job of cleaning it up. And they hit a bunch of doubles and triples and even some home runs after the fact. Yeah, like getting Bam out of bio in the draft, huge. You know, if that's not a double, that's a triple home run, right? You get a guy who's to its core a heat player, right? Bus his ass defensively. Uh, I, I, I chuckled when I saw the series leaders in assists for, um, for the Heat in, against the Bucks. Yeah, it was four players averaging four assists a game. Right, Bam, Jimmy, Hero, and Goron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All four of them. You had a rookie. Yeah. You had a thirty-four-year-old. You had Jimmy Butler and like a center. You know, and nobody thought Bam would be this. Nobody. But yeah. I'll tell you this. They said it to me, and I had this conversation with Levitard, and I was laughing, like, come on. And they were like, we view him as kind of a, a different version of what Giannis is, is going is, ends up becoming. I heard um, Draymond. And, I, they, they, put, they, they said a lot of Draymond in there, too. Well, like, right, really Draymond. And I was, like, sure. I was like, come on. And this is like peak Draymond, like 2017, yeah. like 2018. I'm like, really? Yeah, Giannis and Draymond were the names that they kept throwing around. And I was like, whatever. And look, I mean, I don't know. Look, so Bam Adebayo is one of two players this season to average over 15 points, over 10 rebounds, over five assists, over one block, and over one steal. The only other player is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. And then the hero stuff. I mean, that kid is fearless. Yeah. I, I have a theory, and uh, Devin Booker proves this out. A couple other guys, Jamal Murray. Like, just get Kentucky guys. Yes. Because they don't – they aren't able to show their full complement of skills yes. on that roster until they yeah. get to the league. And, like, Eric Bledsoe, like, backing up John Wall, and you're just like, is he really an NBA player? And then, like, he's so much better than what people thought. Now, of course, the, the narrative has changed on, on Bled. But, like, the same goes for Bam. Same goes for uh, Jamal Murray. Same goes for uh, Devin Booker. All these guys get typecast as, like, shooters. Mm-hmm. But, like, they had to spread the ball around, and they, they had to fill that role. Where, like, Tyler Hero is doing so much more for this Heat team in year one than I would have ever imagined. Like, contributing to, uh, like, not just scoring, but passing, distributing, making those plays, the passes that he makes as a 20-year-old rookie in the Eastern Conference Finals against a 60-win team. Yeah. Uh, a, a, he's a secondary ball handler already. Um, at, he just turned 20. Um, 
yeah, he, he is much more than we thought. To your point, I'll never forget having this conversation with John Calipari once uh, about Carl Anthony Towns, right? Another Kentucky yeah. guy. And he says he told them, I don't want you shooting threes um, because I know you can shoot, but the people in the league need to see you do the big man stuff. <laughs> and if you do that stuff, it'll work itself out. And then you can expand your game after the fact because you know you're comfortable shooting the ball. You could say that about AD too. It's just yeah. as a playmaker or as a guard, a, a seven-foot guard, essentially. He wasn't right. that. He was just this guy who's going to block everything in sight, mm -hmm. right? So I, I think the Heat um, – and I remember in like 2011, 2010, Calipari would be at – well, Spo during, the, Spo during the lockout, he went to UK – and was like just scouting, just like that the, the NBA has shut down. I'm going to just travel. He, the, I did a big story about Oregon and Chip Kelly and like right. the spread offense. Urban Meyer, right? He met Urban Meyer too. I remember that story. Yep. Yeah. And then yeah. um, uh, he also visited Calipari where it was like, I want to just see the facilities that they have at UK. And he was blown away. He was like, this is better than any NBA like practice yeah. facility. It's, it's better Crazy. than NBA. Like, the, the campus there. And he was just blown away at, at like, it was a professional operation uh, there in Kentucky. And so um, I think the pipeline there has been over the years, just and we forget that Pat Riley went to Kentucky, but yeah. um, I just, I just, yeah, they nailed those picks and uh, can they win the championship? Yes. I think they can win the championship. Will they win the championship? So much has to go right for them. Oh, yeah. Especially with, you know, Jimmy Butler, his health or Goron has looked amazing. Can he keep this up? Um, mm -hmm. But I just think when you have Jay Crowder, Andre Godal, Jay Crowder probably played the series of his life this past. Um, I mean, the threes, the defense, just the energy, all of it. I mean, they look really good, George. They do. Really good. Boston is a different animal, though. Um, I think that they, the big problem will be Kemba. The, Heat, the Heat's biggest issue will be, and it's been their issue the whole season, is point of attack defense. Yep. Um, and particularly smaller guards. And Tyler um, Hero think, is going to have to – I mean, he's going to have to defend if he wants right. to stay on the court yeah. in that series. Yeah. And, and, I mean, you could hide somebody on, on Marcus Smart, right, on defense – um, but the Gordon Hayward part, that's a huge X factor. Gordon Hayward tore them up, uh, particularly tore, tore up Duncan Robinson in one game. Um, so if he plays, I think Boston is by far the tougher matchup for them. I feel like with Toronto, I, they would win that series against Boston. I think it's a flip of the coin. Yeah. I, I still think I'm, 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 maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid like Pat did in 2016, but I, <laughs> I, I think at this point, uh, without Gordon Hayward, and the Heat have been remarkably healthy. Like, all their guys are good yep. right now. I still think there's another gear that Bam can get to. Well, Bam would have to be big in a Boston series. He'd have to be the best player on the floor for them to have a legit chance of winning. Yeah. 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 So, we'll see. I mean, it, it, that's the Sedano Bowl. If it gets to Miami, L.A., is there is – there... Look at that. Could you imagine? Would, that, would there be uh, someone else with ties quite like you do between those two cities? No. No. I'm the one. I, well, Michael Thompson, Michael Thompson, um, Clay's dad, who works for the Lakers, played for the Lakers, won championships, uh, grew up in Miami. He's from the Bahamas. He played high school ball in Miami. Uh, they, uh, I believe he played for what they think is the, what people still say is the greatest high school basketball team that ever played there. They call them the Jackson Five, uh, Miami Jackson High School. Um, the uh, five Bahamian players who played there, and Michael Thompson was the best player on that team. That's the Sedano Bowl. I'm rooting for the Sedano Bowl. Let's do it. I mean, 
that would be tough for you. That would be yeah. tough. It would be tough. Uh, I would have to pick with my brain, um, but I will be rooting with my heart. How about that? Okay. Yeah. George Sedano. I'm also getting the, the wrap-up sign from Mrs. Sedano because the first grader uh, Zoom session starts in three and a half minutes. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up right now because I, I have to actually head over to, uh, to tend to, to Mrs. H as well. Nice. Um, but this was awesome, dude. It's always great to see you. Um, and uh, are you doing any more halftime uh hosts anymore maybe like, I, there might be some more in the in the near future okay okay i'm excited yeah. to see that remember remember the lockdown nba lockdown days this is a throwback to it is we used to do back i know you mean amin uh we nba tonight you and i my first hosting on television that was right you. Yes. yeah up in bristol yeah all right buddy always great to see you uh stay healthy and uh we'll have to do this again sometime soon all right brother same to you and the family stay healthy stay safe All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of The Haber Show. Big shout out to George. Uh, You can find him. If you're in LA, go listen to his radio show in the afternoons on ESPN Los Angeles. Uh, You can tune into him on ESPN just about any day of the week. He's he's on their air. Um, You can follow him on Twitter, at Sedano. That's at S-E-D-A-N-O. And if you haven't checked out last week's pod with John Hollinger, from The Athletic. Go check that out. We talk a lot about the Steve Nash hire and what it means for the Brooklyn Nets and the rest of the NBA. And also, uh, the week before that, we talked to Gerson Rosas, the president of basketball operations for the Minnesota Timberwolves, about what he's going to do with the number one pick in the upcoming draft that just got postponed to November. Uh, So go check out those pods. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review, and go tell your friends. All right? Until next time on The Haber Show.